Consider the source, a phrase that you have heard in a number of different contexts. Consider the source if you hear of somebody spreading gossip or wanting to share some juicy details with you who has not much of a reputation for telling the truth. Consider the source. An individual who wants to provide some guidance or direction in an area of life in which he has no expertise. Probably not all that interested. Consider the source. Somebody who threatens you that you know full well is not able to make good on or follow through with that threat probably doesn't weigh too heavily on you. Consider the source. I hope we do the same this morning as we hear the words of Jesus and the warning that he gives us in Luke chapter 12 when he says, watch out, be on your guard. Consider the source. I hope that we attach a little more weight to the words that are coming from Jesus' mouth than perhaps we would from the caution or sandwich sign after a freshly mopped floor. These are the words of Jesus, who, if you want to go a little bit earlier in the verses that precede our text this morning, is the same Jesus who, in his teaching the crowds in this context, warned those crowds, fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Consider the source. Jesus speaking those words, reminding the crowds, don't be like the Pharisees, more concerned about the image and their reputation before other people than where they stand with God, the one who is able to send them to hell. Be concerned about that. And then he deals with the topic at hand in our verses before us this morning, the individual who comes before Jesus with this question. And you notice that Jesus doesn't chastise the young man who asks about his inheritance. He doesn't tell him that it's wrong for him to be concerned about his inheritance. In fact, that was the normal practice of the day. The firstborn son would receive the double inheritance, and then any other remaining brothers would divide the rest of the inheritance. And it was common for them to go to a rabbi to help them settle these matters. So he was doing that very thing before Jesus, and Jesus knew what he was doing a sin though it might have been a little easier if Jesus would have. When you think of how God guides us through the words of, of Jesus, gives us direction in life, sometimes wouldn't it be a little if he spoke in, in black and white instead of generalities? Might it have been easier for this individual to say to, or for Jesus to say to this individual, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. That's how you know you're handling this matter the right way. And wouldn't that same kind of guidance be helpful for us today? If Jesus just spoke in clear, no uncertain terms. Apply that to this, this matter, the topic today, as we focus on finances, really managing God's blessing to us. What are some of the truths that we know that apply to this matter of stewardship, taking care of the things God has given to us? Well, he has called us to be faithful, but what does faithful mean? Wouldn't it be nice if right after the call to manage those blessings, Jesus would say, here's the column of do's and here's the column of don'ts. Do the do's, don't do the don'ts, and that is faithfully managing what I give to you. Jesus calls all of us as Christians to be generous with what he gives 
well, what is generous? Wouldn't it be a little more helpful if there was a formula in Scripture that Jesus gave to us where he'd say, plug in your income, then plug in your expenses, and boom, out pops this number, that's generous. That's the number that you're working for. Or that's the number of hours that, that is generously using your time and your talents. Wouldn't it be a little helpful if, if Jesus managed to give, give guidance in those terms, but instead he simply gives a warning? Be careful. Watch out. And what exactly was the warning as we look at the rest of the words that Jesus spoke? Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be careful. Greed is tricky. Notice Jesus does not say to the individual, this is wrong for you to be concerned about your inheritance. It's not okay for somebody to build wealth. It's bad to be rich. Jesus doesn't say those things. But he does say be very careful. Because Jesus knows how sneaky, knows how tricky greed can be. Because it allows us to buy into the lie that the stuff that really matters in life is the stuff of life. And nothing could be further from the truth. So Jesus gives that, that warning to be on guard, to watch out for all kinds of greed. Now, if we are going to be very focused in our desire to manage God's blessings the way that he wants us to, we really do well to understand the relationship between greed and idolatry. In fact, they are so dangerously associated with each other that you heard it in our second reading today from Colossians that Paul actually went so far as to call greed idolatry because where greed exists, idolatry is right there with it as if they are accomplices. But here's the thing. Greed doesn't need to be the star of the show. Greed is happy to play the role of gateway drug to idolatry. Greed isn't going to go so far as to say possessions, uh, your money, your wealth, uh, technology, these things are bad and sinful because greed will just open the door to idolatry jumping in and then having an unhealthy, idolatrous relationship and love for all of those gifts instead of the giver who gave them. Now we think of, of idolatry. Many of us go back to our catechism training and you might remember learning all of the commandments and the what does this mean, the explanation. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Right? We know it well. Okay, so then I apply that to myself. I say, okay, if that's idolatry, as long as I, I fear, love, and trust in God above all things, then I'm not guilty of idolatry. Then I'm not an idolater, right? Wrong. Think with me a little bit differently on this topic of idolatry. Here's why it's so challenging, because idolatry is really a disordered love. It's, it's loving the stuff that the giver has given us more than the giver himself. But none of us is going to come right out and say, well, I love stuff, I love people, I love things or experiences more than God. No, as long as I love God most, then I can still enjoy all of those other things. But how do you really gauge that 
when there is no meter that you can look at at the beginning of each day or before you go to bed at night that says, all right, on a scale of 1 to 10, love for God is still 10. Ooh, technology is 8, pushing 9, getting a little close, be careful. And food, well, that's still down 4 or 5. I don't have to worry about those things. God's still on top, right? When it comes to gauging our love for the things that God has given us, it's not so clear. We can easily deceive ourselves that I don't love a thing too much. So there's another way to think of it. Rather than trying to gauge a disordered or unhealthy love or relationship with stuff, ask yourself this. What would it take to lose in your life that would totally rattle your soul? What would it take for you to wake up tomorrow devastated if suddenly you found yourself without fill in the blank? The solid investment portfolio, savings account that has built up over the years, your nest egg. Would you be devastated if it was something like a, a pet that you think dearly of? What about a child or a spouse? If greed and idolatry are accomplices, as they often are, if we are going to get to the heart of the matter, which is idolatry, then we have to determine what it is, what are those things that our heart naturally gravitates toward. And that is not so easy for us to discover. It's not so much a matter of determining what do we love the most, but what would hurt us if we lost the most? What would affect us and impact us that way. Apply this to the words that Jesus spoke in the gospel acclamation this morning. You heard them from, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we have to kind of reverse engineer these words of Jesus because these are some of the, the most misunderstood we hear what Jesus says there, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. A no-brainer. Where is my treasure? Jesus. God is my treasure, therefore my heart is there. Except that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you want to find out where your treasure is, what you really value in this life, find out what your heart is attached to. That thing is your treasure. So let's apply this litmus test. I can miss a, a Sunday or two. My heart will manage all right. I don't necessarily need to be in the, the word every day. I can go days or weeks without reading my Bible, and my heart still functions okay. It doesn't fall apart. I can be a part of a congregation, and frankly, for, for many years, never, ever, be engaged or interested in any small group or Bible study whatsoever, and my heart learns to live with that and to be okay with that. But what happens when the stock market tanks and all of my savings are depleted? What happens when a family member dies? What happens when somebody's words or, or actions disrespect me in front of other people? 
What happens when a president or a politician tramples on the Constitution? Then my heart starts to race. Then my blood starts to boil. Then I start to get passionate about these things. Why? Because my heart has just fessed up and shown me what I truly treasure in this life. And it's not Jesus. It's not the God that we claim to fear and love and trust above all other things, but instead has become attached to some good blessing oftentimes that that gracious God gives to us. And so every one of us, because of our idolatrous hearts that will leech onto and attach to the stuff of this world so naturally, so effortlessly, deserve exactly the warning that Jesus spoke about to say, you should be concerned about the one who can send you to hell. And yes, idolatry is a damnable sin. So make light of Jesus' warning against greed. Don't take it to heart. Brush it off. Or, or behave the way the, the man in the parable did that Jesus spoke. Be so focused, so, so enamored with taking care of, with hoarding and guarding and protecting your stuff and, and building up your, your nest egg. Oh, of course, show up at this house once in a while and maybe give a generous check here or there to, to assuage your guilty conscience. But, but focus on the stuff of this life and guarding and protecting it so that it won't be lost and then suffer the same fate that Jesus warned that fool against. You are so focused on this life and all of its trappings and the whole time you forgot about me. I wasn't even a, a passing thought in your mind. Instead, let's be what Jesus encourages us to be, rich toward God, which you know does not come naturally to any one of us. So how are we who are so attached to the stuff of this world, how, how do we divorce ourselves from that? How do we let go of that and be rich toward God? It all comes back to realizing how rich God has been and continues to be toward us. You know how it's often those things that, that we lose or are taken away from us in this world that expose our hearts and its attachment to them? God also worked something else pretty powerful through those experiences of loss. It's during those times that we become acutely aware when we have to do without the things of this world that we still have and always will have God. Now I've been back three full days from uh, our recent trip, our vacation. And in the course of those three full days, three different experiences with with your church family that made this point hit home. To visit with a, a young couple who lost their only son who wasn't even a year old. To visit somebody in the hospital who, who had been hurting for several weeks and then just found out that likely he's dealing with cancer too. And another member that has a, a cancer crusader who has found out that that cancer has spread not good news for anybody. In each of those cases, though, it's a bleak outlook. I can tell you that in, in all of those cases, the blessing that God has brought through them and continues to bring, when the stuff that we depend on or are attached to in this world is taken from us, we have an acute awareness 
of how richly God loves us and treats us. That yes, that gracious God has and always will forgive our idolatrous hearts. He will wash them, he will purify them as often as is necessary. And I don't know that I can say it any better than the Apostle Paul did writing to the Christians in the congregation in Ephesus. In chapter 1, verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The riches of God's grace are called that because God's grace is limitless. It does not run out, and he never gets tired of lavishing that grace on us. Even when we wander, even when our wayward hearts are so enamored and caught up with the stuff of this world, still he dumps his grace and his forgiveness upon us again and again in ways that we will never, ever grasp. And to know a God who is so rich in his lavishing of, of grace on each and every one of us begs us to be rich to him in return. How can we be anything but and so we see all of the stuff that he has entrusted in our care differently, through a different lens, through a different focus. They are a means to an end. But not our end, not our purposes, but rather his and his purposes. God's desire is that, that we use the blessings that he gives to us, his grace in abundance, his forgiveness, and all of the spiritual blessings that pour out from those to not only ourselves be detached from this world and its trappings, but to help others do the same, to help others see that this life doesn't hold a candle to eternal life that is waiting for us. And so he has freed us, brothers and sisters, to be rich toward God. And we do that as we use our gifts to bless and to serve others, as we use our gifts in, in whatever capacity has given them to us to build up his kingdom, to, to send missionaries to go where we can't go, to support a church body that is centered on seeing the gospel reach to the ends of the earth. And to realize that I can use the resources he gives me to make a far greater impact than my temporary pleasure or joy, an impact that very well might open the eyes of other souls to see how richly God's grace has been lavished on them as well. May God grant us that spirit-directed focus as we manage his blessings, his finances to us. Amen.